The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 34. Before we get going today, if you're looking for help with um, OCD and anxiety, uh, I do offer a free consultation. Uh, So if you're interested in doing that, then do please get in touch. You can head over to my website, www.robertjanescoaching.com, and you can send me a message there. Also, I have a free mini course for OCD and anxiety. So if you'd like to, to get access to that, all you need to do is sign up for the newsletter on my website. Today I interview the amazing Meredith from Beautiful Voyager. Uh, Meredith is somebody who suffered uh, with generalized anxiety disorder for for many years and she really struggled with that. Um, But thankfully through her own work and uh, through seeking the right help, she's learned how to manage that today. And so now she's helping other people who who struggle with uh, similar anxiety problems. She has a, a book, Get Out of My Head, inspiration for overthinkers in an anxious world and if you head over to her website um, bevoya.com so that's b-e-v-o-y-a.com and uh, you can find her you know much more information about her you can get find a link to her podcast and uh, you can find out about her blog as well Meredith is a really warm and open person she, and she talks really candidly about her experiences with anxiety and the things that have really helped her the most in, in overcoming it. And today's episode is a bit different because uh, Meredith actually also has her own podcast, as I just mentioned. And, uh, and, and so actually the, the interview is also going to be on her podcast. So it's a little bit like we are both uh, the host. So uh, I hope you enjoy it today. If you have any questions, do please let me know. And many thanks. Great, so here we are in our joint podcast episode. How are you doing today, Meredith? Nice to meet you. I'm well. I'm excited to um, explore the idea of two hosts in conversation. Absolutely. I think it's a a fantastic idea. So I'd like to take the opportunity to to welcome you to the OCD and Anxiety podcast. (laughs) I would like to take the opportunity to welcome you to the Beautiful Voyager podcast. (laughs) <laughs> excellent so now we've got that out of the way we can uh we can we can start finding out about each other a bit more so do you want to start off can you tell us uh tell us a little bit about yourself please yeah i'm happy to so um you're hearing my voice from san francisco california i have lived here for about 16 years and i've worked in the tech world of technology as mostly a writer and video producer I've worked at lots of different companies. Right now I work at Pinterest and I work on emotional wellness products at Pinterest. Um, But I also created a website called Beautiful Voyager, which is a community for overthinkers, people pleasers, and perfectionists. And this week I 
or this year I published my, my first book about overthinking, which is called Get Out of My Head. Fantastic. Yeah, that all sounds really interesting. So, um, so you, you actually work on, on self-development um, for, for Pinterest. Yes, we have um, a big new emotional well-being um, focus at the company and we're working to define that and figure out what it means and build um, that into the product as well. Fantastic, great. And, um, and so you, you, when did you set up Beautiful Voyager? This was, um, you know, like you've been doing this for- Five what? years ago, actually. Wow. So yeah, yeah. so um, I was in the middle of a crazy period of startups mm. and uh, I didn't really know what was wrong. I was having a lot of physical symptoms, um, many migraines. I uh, fainted on a bus, a, a public bus in San Francisco. I was having lightheadedness. It was just getting worse and worse. These things had been with me my whole life, but yeah. they were getting worse. Yeah. And I was very lucky to go to a neurologist who works with people in Silicon Valley. Mm. So she said she had seen this before and she was able to spot generalized anxiety disorder. Right. And it was a week before I turned 40 years old. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. And so you, so you found out there that you had that. And I guess that it, it was useful for you to get that diagnosis so you can actually work out, well, hang on, this is what's been going on this whole time, no? Yes. One of the best experiences of my life, actually, I mean, was that moment because it changed everything. It made me look at everything completely differently. But Rob, the host in me also wants to hear about you. I just want to he like hear the introduction of you and like how you got to your work. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, uh, I guess as, as, a, as a kid, I was a fairly like, happy kid um, and, you know, nice upbringing and all those kind of things. But at the age of 16, I start. I, I, I developed. I guess you could call it overthinking at that at that stage. You know, I was kind of getting really kind of uh, anxious about things and, and over analyzing everything. Um, but it kind of spiraled out of control, and I guess you could start to call it. It became something that was more you know relatable to to OCD. Uh, you know, very obsessive kind of thoughts. Um, so that kind of got worse and worse and worse over time because I didn't know, much like you, I didn't know what the problem was. You know, I was really struggling with these anxious thoughts and, uh, you know. Yeah, I, compulsive would... thinking is so isolating too. You have no idea what's happening and yeah. you think it just feeds on itself, right? Yeah, well, obviously you try to do what you can, which is, you know, what we do in Western society is to try to fight with it, to try to push it away, to problem solve the anxiety. And unfortunately, that just makes everything worse. And so, you know, it tends to spiral out of control if we go down that kind of path, which is, which is what I did for, for many years, because, you know, like back then, there was a lot less information about um, anxiety uh, in general. So it was hard to find the information. I couldn't really Google stuff like you can now. So yeah, it took a long time for me to kind of, um, you know, what well, eventually kind of in my kind of maybe mid to late twenties, I started to find out about mindfulness and, and meditation. And uh, I read a book by uh, John Kabat-Zinn. Uh, it's called Full, Full Catastrophe Living. 
And that was uh, an absolute godsend because in that book, he was talking about acceptance. And up until that point, the idea of acceptance had never even crossed my mind as a way of dealing with anxiety. It was always about how can I push it away? How can I get rid of it? And, uh, you know, so that was a big game changer. And then a few years later, did you know it was OCD? Had you been given a diagnosis? No, at this point, no, I didn't. I didn't find out until I was 30 uh, that it was OCD. So I had, you know, 14 years of, of dealing with this, not knowing what it was, an absolute nightmare. Uh, and then one day, yeah, I was on the computer Googling at this point, like obviously Google nine years ago, it's very easy to start Googling your uh, health anxiety problems. So, and actually that became a bit of a compulsion in itself, which I think it does for a lot of people, you know, like, but anyway, so I was Googling and yeah, I, I came across a description of OCD, but not the normal kind of, um, so most people, when they think of OCD, they think of hand washing or something like this. The media portrays it in that way. Uh, however, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, I, I, I would actually say that, you know, the vast majority of people with OCD struggle with pure, they call it pure OCD. However, it's not, it's, it's not a very helpful term. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's a kind of mental OCD where the, the, the obsessions are in your head. And so most people actually struggle with that. And, and that's what I was struggling with for, for many years. And so, yeah, when I came across this definition, I was like, wow, I was completely like blown away. And, and exactly as you just said, it was such a, a relief, you know, to, to find out, ah, this, this is actually, you know, a recognized problem. It's not just me. I thought I was just going mad, you know, for years. I was like struggling so much. And uh, I thought no one else could be going through what I was going through. You know, it, it, it was, you know, it was, it was terrible. So to find out that it was this and that there's, you know, millions of other people around the world who have the same problem, uh, you know, I didn't feel quite so alone anymore. And, you know, I had a clear kind of approach for what I could start to do to, to treat it and manage it. So it was, uh, it was a huge relief for, for me as well. It's amazing to me that so many of us are in the dark for so long. I wonder if that's changing these days, like because of Google and because of other things, are people finding answers faster now? I assume yes. I really think so. Yeah, I really do. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, young people in their early 20s on you know, Instagram who are, you know, talking about mental health problems. And I think that's really good. You know? it's, um, and so, yeah, I see a lot of people in their early 20s who are, you know, they come to me because they're struggling with OCD or, you know, obsessions of some sort related to anxiety. And, you know, so I think, I think there is more awareness and certainly people talk about mental health a lot more these days. No, I think that's really good. So when did you start your coaching? Like, what was your journey from that real discovery of a diagnosis to now? Yeah, well, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I started working as a, I've always worked in education in one form or another. Um, I worked as a teacher for many years and, you know, that was, that was a good profession to be involved in and I, I enjoyed it. However, I realized that the stress of teaching uh, was not helping me with, with anxiety, it was not helping with the OCD. I managed to get to a place, you know, not long after turning 30, once I realized what the problem was, 
of uh, you know of working with a therapist or, or two, uh, and and actually then kind of you know doing a lot of my own research and reading everything I could about OCD and anxiety, and arrived to a place in my kind of early thirties where I really started to feel a lot better, you know, and uh, from that so point, yeah, from that point it's been a kind of you know a journey of exploring and, and finding what works for me. And trying to improve and improve you know it's uh it's, it's i think with anxiety problems it's about that you there, there's a good side to anxiety and ocd in a way like once you realize you have it and you start to do the work to feel better you know you start to see other things in life that you can improve and work on as well and so you know there are so many positives if we can if we can look at it from a different point of view but yeah so i started to to, to improve and yeah, and as part of that process, I think I realized at some point that I didn't want to be a teacher forever because it's it's emotionally tiring <laughs> and it's physically tiring. And, you know, I, I've done it. I've now you know, been a teacher for over 10 years. So I really wanted to do something else. And um, for me, it seems like a really good fit to go into the kind of coaching sphere. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of uh, connection there between teaching and coaching I have all this experience with overcoming anxiety and OCD so it just seems like a, a really good thing to do how about for yourself that's yeah that's super interesting um I <clears throat> feel very similar to you which was when I first got my diagnosis I started googling like crazy and I was disappointed by what I found. Um, I didn't find information that spoke to me. I definitely did not find information that said, you may be thinking a lot, but not worrying. I never thought of it as worrying. I thought of it as problem solving. Mm. Um, <clears throat> sorry, for some reason I've got something caught in my throat. Um, so that was my big aha moment was, there are probably other people like me out there that yeah. don't see that don't recognize maybe it's due to stigma or whatever that this is worry I never even thought of it as worry I just thought of it as problem solving thinking really hard fixing things um but then the physical components were very serious I mean were hard to avoid mm -hmm. so for me I saw um the physical elements as uh, objective truth that they would tell me what was happening. Yeah. So I basically learned to interpret the physical side to help myself understand when I was doing better. I and when I needed, you know, to intercede, the physical part was my guide. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, and so how did you do that? How, because that can be quite difficult sometimes, I think at first anyway. So difficult. Yeah. It's so difficult. I mean, part of it is a forever journey of trying to understand uh, without getting overly attached to it. I mean, like you said, you can become obsessed with Googling. You can become obsessed with information too. So you sort of have to like yeah. learn to let go of that. Absolutely. But um, I'm always trying, yeah, it's, it's for real, but I'm always trying to, um, to gently understand the systems of the body and how hormones work. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of time sort of researching 
like cortisol levels and thyroid and not just for myself, but like humans in general, like what, what are the things that are affecting us um, in different ways? And I read a book recently that was really uh, eye-opening, which basically said emotions are physical. Like we have an experience, we have a thought and hormones flood our body. Mm. And if we need to understand that physical experience and how to process it, as well as the reasons and the causes. So for example, I had a break from my morning meetings at work before talking to you. And I listened enough to myself to say like, why don't I take a 20 minute walk? Mm. Um, Just to like move through like what had happened in the morning to get ready to talk to you. So um, a lot of it is just picking up on signals that I spent most of my life completely ignoring, like absolutely shutting away. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you mean kind of really like beginning to understand your, your body and the telltale signs of when you're starting to feel tense and, you know, kind of going for a walk, for example, before that, before that evolves into something worse, you know, like uh, meditating. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like if I start getting a stiff neck, it's time to meditate. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. If if I can if I can have the time, I mean, like yesterday, I had exactly the same thing where you know I had um, I, I was doing some teaching uh, online in the morning, so I did three hours in a row of teaching, and then I had two hours free, and I had loads of stuff to do, but I just said, you know what, like I, I, I'm feeling that that tense feeling in my body, you know, like, uh, and sometimes it's in my shoulders, sometimes it's in the neck. Uh, exactly like you were just saying and it was like no sometimes um, it's here right do yeah. you have this thing yeah sometimes yeah it can be yeah it's funny you just notice that you're holding yourself in a in a not in a good way in a kind of slightly kind of scrunched up way so it could be in the yes. neck or yeah it could be and so I was like you, you know what I'm, I'm gonna leave this work uh I can do it later and that will be fine and I'm just gonna go for a bike ride so I just literally jumped on the bike. I was out the house. I was gone for one hour, you know, into this forest that we have nearby. And I came back and I just felt so much more ready to go for the rest of the day. Obviously, not everyone can do that. And it depends on your workload. But, you know, finding a way, I think, to, uh, to, to relax somehow, whether that's going for a walk, doing a five minute breathing meditation, uh, just tuning into the body and, and doing some gentle stretching. Yeah, all of these things can can kind of stop that anxiety from from you know from yes. worse and worse and yeah and it helps you move move the emotion through it helps you process the hormones yeah. which is amazing um rob one thing we didn't talk about is that you're in barcelona you're originally from the uk but you live in barcelona how did you end up there and what is it like what have you learned yeah, well, I guess uh, when, when I first came to Barcelona, which was about 12 years ago now, um, I, uh, you know, I was kind of, I was, uh, I was on a surf holiday with some friends in France, and I met a, uh, a girl from, uh, from Barcelona, so she invited me to, to come and stay in the city for, for, you know, a week or so. So I came over and uh, it didn't work with the girl, but I fell in love with Barcelona. So, uh, <laughs> and from that point, I said to myself, one day I'm going to come and 
I'm going to come and live here because it's amazing. You know, it really is. It was right in the middle of the summer, but it's just a beautiful city. The architecture is beautiful. Um, the culture is really interesting. Uh, you know, there's a lot of art going on here and a lot of culture in general. Uh, you know, the language with it's uh, you know two languages, Catalan and Spanish. Um, the food is delicious and then nearby you have like you know you have mountains you have beautiful beaches you can go skiing in, in you know in the winter and then in the afternoon you could be on the beach for example you know it's uh, it's just a lovely place to live and so yeah so six years ago I, I came uh, and being a teacher it was easy to find you know to find work and so yeah, I've been here living here ever since just outside the city I was in the city centre for four years and then now I live kind of just outside, uh, 20 minutes outside the, the, the center you know, on the beach. So it's- And the uh, people that you work with, do you tend to work with um, fellow Brits or like who, who are your, do you have like Spanish people too? How does it tend to work? So mostly it's online. Uh, just about all my clients are online. So they are from, I would say the majority are from the UK. However, you know, I have lots of clients uh, from, from like Germany and from, um, you know, other, other European countries, Americans as well. Um, so, yeah, people from everywhere, really. Um, I, That's amazing. I, yeah, I generally don't work with Spanish people because I speak Spanish, but I, I honestly think, um, you know, with, with coaching and therapy and these kind of things, it's so much better, I think, if you if you can do it in in your you know, your mother tongue with somebody who really understands the language well. Because you know, if you're explaining something quite complicated and difficult to explain, like a, you know, whether that's generalized anxiety disorder, uh, social anxiety, OCD, whatever it is, you know, like you really need to be able to explain that well, and uh, and and the person you're you're explaining it to really needs to be able to understand it perfectly. So uh, unfortunately, my Spanish is good, but not quite good enough for that, I think. <laughs> what about cultural differences? Like, what have you learned working with people from so many different cultures about how anxiety and OCD are perceived in different places, if, if differently? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think um, people from English-speaking countries are definitely at an advantage, I think, when it comes to information. Uh, like what you were saying earlier, though, whether that's uh, sometimes a disadvantage, you know, like, mm -hmm. because you can really go down the, the Google rabbit hole sometimes of, of looking for information. And, you know, there's so much out there and a lot of it's good. Uh, some of it might be misleading or unhelpful. And some of it, you know, like you might find some useful information that you think is, oh, this is great. Uh, but then with people with OCD, it's like people always have a doubt, like, but what if that's not right? And so then they look for something else and, and you know, and then they question whether that's right and then they're looking for something else and it's, it can go on forever. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think um, in, in other countries, I think you know, perhaps there is, there is less information available, but I think the way that people deal with uh, anxiety and, and OCD from, from my impression, it's the same, you know, it's that it impacts. That's my impression too. That's what I was curious about. Yeah. I feel like uh, these things transcend culture mm -hmm. from what I can tell, like they, 
there's it's a very human experience yeah underneath it all it's it's always the same with with OCD it's you know people for whatever reason have learned to have a bad relationship with anxiety I think you know people uh, you know at one stage probably in their life they didn't have that I mean they probably would have as a child you know like uh people often deal with anxiety you know in a more natural way but at some point for whatever reason people can develop this bad relationship with it where we want to we don't want to accept it or experience it anymore and uh and so we start to push it away you know and fight with it and unfortunately you know that's that's often the, the compulsion with OCD is is people trying to do something to deal with the anxiety uh, but normally it's not a healthy thing that they're doing it's actually just keeping the circle of, of OCD going so yeah that all that mechanism always seems to be the same I think and uh, and the other thing with it is which is interesting is it doesn't matter what the the theme is of the OCD so whether it's hand washing or whether people are worried about patterns or symmetry or whether they're concerned about, you know, hurting themselves or somebody else accidentally. All of these things are underlying it are, you know, it's just anxiety. It's just they've become obsessed about something and then they perform compulsions to deal with it. So it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite interesting how it's, it's always the same. It's always basically the same. Yeah, I think that is really interesting. How do you help people? I, I, is it a faith? Is do you have to have faith that at a certain point you're not going to be able to get more of an answer? That like, like you said, like people just want to like keep digging and keep asking, and they don't believe. Like, do you have to help them learn to have faith that like you have the information? There's no more information. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's one of the, I mean, you touched on probably like the, one of the most important things, you know, o OCD is often called the doubting disease, you know, like you can never get enough certainty. And so it is always a kind of a, what if like, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that this, this thing, terrible thing is never going to happen. You know, like intellectually, I understand that it's very uh, unlikely that this thing is going to happen, but well, if it does, and then, you know, you can spend an hour thinking about it, think that you've arrived at a, the perfect place where you've definitely proved that this thing could never happen. And then <laughs> like a minute later, but what if it does? And but what if? yeah, and so it's, yeah, it's so hard. It's true. It is, it is about taking a leap of faith. It really is. You, you're, you've hit the nail on the, on, on the head. It's, um, you know, whether that's, uh, for many people, I think, I don't know what you think about this, but uh, certainly it's true for me. And that is for many people, I think they start to develop more of a spiritual kind of side from, you know, having gone through this experience of OCD or anxiety or whatever, because having that leap of faith is, is not easy. Um, you know, and so maybe sometimes you have to try to kind of trust in something bigger than yourself to 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 be able to do that you don't have to i yeah right but i think for some i often talk i often think about 
I often think about Alcoholics Anonymous. Do you have that in the UK, Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, okay. And so there's this idea that you have to let go, that you have to, uh, you know, they talk about higher power, but mm. I think the core is you cannot control it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the core thing. And it feels very similar mm. to what I had to learn. Like I cannot control it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It's one of the most important things, I think, for all anxiety problems, no? So, um, yeah, so, so you had a similar ex experience with that. Uh, so you, you, you would say in your own experience in overcoming anxiety, this was also a big problem or, uh, you know, part of the solution. I, you. I, yes, I, t I tend to describe it as um, a dissolution of ego mm -hmm. only because I, my rock bottom was that I had to give up. Like I was so career focused and I had so many, um, I was holding on so tightly to my work, Yeah. but I was failing. I mean, I was like at these startups, they weren't working and I had to stop trying so hard. <laughs> like I had to stop trying to control it or thinking that I would understand or own it. Um, and, and give up at work. I had to be like, well, I can't, I can't control this. I can only do what I can do. And that was very different than where I had been before. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing how many people uh, who struggle with anxiety have this perfectionism kind of side to them. Uh, you know, and it, 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 this is, this is a big, a big part of it, I think. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, like certainly as a child, like for example, I didn't like school as a kid. I wanted to be outdoors running around with my friends, like not stuck inside a, a square box all day, uh, solving mass problems, um, you know? Uh, um, so I, I wouldn't say I'm like a perfectionist when it came to that kind of stuff, but there are aspects of my personality that are definitely perfectionistic. And yeah, so many people that I work with, it's uh, this. This is uh, definitely something that they they struggle with as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's like we we think at some point, okay, if I just work harder, or if I with OCD, like okay, I'll try to prove it. What if? Okay, I'm gonna try to prove it, and you're just just in the cycle of thinking that somehow escalating the hamster wheel and trying harder is the path to success. But actually like at some point you have to let go. Yeah. And that's not always easy. I mean, letting go always is not always a simple solution. It's not like, oh, I let go and then everything's fine. Like you still have the same struggles, um, but ultimately there's an acceptance or a faith that you can't have the answer always do you think that it comes down to you know choice at, at the end of the day a lot of uh, a lot of these problems related to anxiety you know i think of it more rob as um habit and practice mm -hmm. like i actually think i had to learn to think differently yeah and there are certain sentences i write about this in the book but 
there are certain sentences I don't allow myself to say. If something starts with if only, that's a no, I will not, I cannot say that. So that's a habit. Like I had to learn not like when you said what if, or, um, but it could happen. That would be the kind of thing that I would not be allowed (laughs) to do. Um, so it's more accepting rules, accepting that I have a set of rules that I have to stick to. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I, um, that's exactly how I view OCD. I think it's like a bad habit of thinking that we've gotten into. Unfortunately, you know, it's, uh, you know, the brain is, is plastic. So unfortunately the brain is plastic, but also fortunately, because uh, you can learn it, but you can unlearn it. And so, yeah, it's, it is a habit. And if you, if you kind of spend, you know, six months, a year, really ruminating about the same things in an obsessive way, it creates pathways in the brain, you know, where it's, uh, you know, you're using those neural pathways all the time. And the more you use them, the more imprinted they are and it, the harder it is to not use them. And that's how habits form, I guess. But it's, uh, yeah, so if you can, if you can learn it like that way, you can also unlearn it. You're exactly right. So I think it's really, uh, it's a really good point, like identifying self-defeating language that is keeping you, uh, is keeping you stuck, uh, as you just mentioned. I think that's a really good way of, uh, of, of doing it. And accepting, and the faith comes in that like the rules that you're setting up for yourself Mm. are valuable and that you're committed to them. Like that takes faith to be like, I've come up with the right rules and I will stick to this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Commitment. I mean, I'm really interested in uh, acceptance commitment therapy. That for me was uh, like one of the, you know, one of the big things that I came across kind of in my early 30s that really started to make a big difference to, to me and how I felt. Um, and commitment, you know, is a huge part of that. Um, so yeah, I think that and that, that book, sorry, that uh, this approach is really focused on values as well. Um, again, if you can, if you can commit to, to acceptance and to uh, changing little behaviors over time you know it doesn't have to be changing big things straight away like changing small things like identifying language which is self-defeating or you know changing like uh, bad habits you know that you're you're doing routinely that are really keeping you stuck so first off identifying them then changing them uh and but then also committing to values, committing to things in your life that make life meaningful for you and important, you know, whether that's creativity, whether that's spending time with your like family and friends. I really think another big part, and again, this was certainly true for me, when I was really struggling, you said earlier, like, you know, you must have felt so alone during that time. And, uh, you know, I really did because I was so remote from my values. I wasn't connecting with people in a way I wanted to. Um, you know, I wasn't present when I was with people, you know, all of those things that are important to you in life, the things that really do make life meaningful and great. Sadly, they often go out the window when you're really stuck with anxiety, because all you can think about is, is the anxiety, 
and trying to get rid of it. So your, your world becomes much smaller. So I think when we can try to focus outside ourselves on, on values, things start to open up a little bit again. And just in itself, that can really help with, with anxiety. I love that point. Um, I really love your description of you were, you felt alone because you were almost alone from yourself. Like you, you were like divided from the things that mattered most to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important to understand. It does start within yourself of understanding the things that you care about, which can be very confusing and hard. But once you can sort of do that, you're not alone if you have yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's so that's so true. Yeah, it's, it's really important. And yeah, it, it taps in as well to, um, you know, like uh, self acceptance and uh, self love, which, uh, you know, again, th these kind of concepts, by the way, like at the age of 16, were completely alien to me if you said to me I know. you know like you need to like love yourself a bit more I would like laugh laugh in somebody's face if they said that to me at age 16 you know I would you know uh, but I guess as you get older you um, you know you change and you you kind of open up to more ideas and and I think today- Well, is you realize the old ways weren't working, right? You yeah. realize like, oh, that way did not work. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I just think there's more, more acceptance of, you know, kind of Eastern ideas of, you know, because generally the Western approach is if you have anxiety or any kind of problem like that, it's like, I don't know, like this old kind of macho, like, you know, like man up, like, get on with it, you know, like, uh, you'll be okay, just tough it out. And that, you know, like, that's, that's what I was doing. And it obviously it wasn't working. Um, you know, and so I think there is generally more acceptance of, of, you know, Eastern, you know, maybe more Buddhist uh, approaches to things, which are obviously much more about taking care of yourself, you know, looking after yourself, um, you know, spending time with people and, and, being in the present moment all of these things i would say like without without eastern philosophy and uh these ideas i think i would have still been lost because whether it was books by john kabat-zinn or acceptance commitment therapy all of these things that helped me the most they came from you know they came from the east so uh, so meditation is very important to you too think you were saying earlier oh absolutely I mean I completely agree with you that many of the most helpful ideas definitely have their roots in Buddhism specifically I mean it's hard to find other paths beyond some of those core ex, um, you know I don't know what words exactly are the right words to use but like loving kindness meditation or, you know, other Vipassana's yeah. approaches or mindfulness. I mean, those things are, it's hard to think of a thing that, that works as well as that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's incredible. It's, it's so helpful. And we've known it, you know, as a, as a species, we had these tools for so many years, but in the West, I guess we've kind of frowned upon upon these approaches for, for many years you know 
And uh, what a pity, because they are so powerful. And uh, the philosophy, the mindset that it, that it provides you with is incredibly, incredibly helpful. So what else have you found, you know, over, over the years, have you found to be really helpful for, for generalized anxiety disorder? I mean, it, I, I always say that it's um, medication, mm. meditation and communication. Right. Those are my three pillars that have proven to be consistently over time mm. the most I don't know. That's my magic trio. I haven't figured out a way around that. So I also um, edit a very large publication on the platform Medium about mental health. I don't know if you've ever heard of Medium. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I have a publication on there called Invisible Illness. Right. And lots of people write about mental health in many different, mostly their own experiences. And to me, communication includes writing. I mean, it's talking, but it, but a lot of it is that internal work of making sense, like you mentioned with values, like making sense of, of what's happening inside. Um, so I always encourage people to explore writing for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, I think those, those three things that you mentioned there are so important you know, and, and, and seeking out the right help. You know, it's, uh, it's incredibly important for, for some people that's obviously going to see a therapist, but other people, you know, they, they actually appreciate, I think, working with somebody who's really had experience of, of the issue they're going through themselves. Um, that- I agree with that. I think that, you know, as somebody who went to five different therapists and no one spotted what was happening with me. No one spotted anxiety. Um, I have, I have really landed on the side of, um, peer support and sort of sharing experiences, sharing what works. Um, you know, just the, the, the sort of the experience based lived reality. I'm, I'm a big believer in. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think it's really important for, you know, for me, when I found out I had OCD, for example, being able to, to read up on it and hear other people's stories in, in books, you know, and, and hear what they're saying and I'd be like, wow, you know, this person is explaining me here. You know, this is, this is, this is incredible. It's so, it's so helpful to, to realize other people understand. And also I think it gives you that, that confidence to say this this approach that this person is talking about it's worked for them you know so you know it 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 might work for me too i think sometimes yes that's very powerful yeah because i think sometimes when you're really struggling and like you see a therapist and the therapist says well you can do this approach and well you know it's kind of like okay well this guy is is you know following this approach but is this going to work for me like, you know, I don't, you can feel like, because the anxiety can be so horrible and you really want it to be gone. And you can feel like nothing's going to work for you. Like you can be very sure that nothing is going to work. Um, you know, and so actually, if you do work with somebody who's been there before, they can, their confidence 
and their experience of, of what they've been through can really rub off, I think, on, on you. And that can be really helpful. I agree. There is, um, I have someone on the site, a columnist who works on Beautiful Voyager. His job is certified peer specialist. He is hired by California to share his experiences. Oh, wow. um, and this is a new trend. This is a new job that's only in a couple of states right now. But it makes me wonder what the future is for that kind of role within the health industry. Because I do think that is crucial. Yeah, no, I, I, I really, yeah, it really is. It really is to, to give people hope, you know, because so often when you are really like stuck in the moment, you know, whether that's with, with, with GAD or any type of anxiety problem, it can, like we were saying earlier, it really does feel like it's the center of your universe. And, you know, it can be very hard to focus on other things. And I know some people with OCD, you know, they can't even go to work anymore because they're so obsessed with these, these things. Absolutely. You know, they're literally like stuck in bed, you know, with the thoughts and it's, it's terrible. So yeah, I think people need hope. They need to know that there's, there's help out there. And, and the good thing is these days that there is so much good stuff out there. CBT, it really does work. You know, there, there is, you know, there's so much um, research that shows its effectiveness for um, OCD. There's, you know, there's um, ERP, exposure response prevention. There's uh, acceptance commitment therapy. Um, you know, and, but then there's also all the other kind of holistic approaches that are really helpful for all of these things as well that we've been talking about, like mindfulness and, um, you know, just exercise for me has been huge. You know, I, uh, as a younger, when I was younger, I was exercising all the time. And then for whatever reason, that went out the window at some point when I was feeling really bad. And, you know, that, that also had a knock on effect, not, not exercising. So picking that up. You know, all of these things, they combine and, you know, I, I think it's, it's important. Sometimes I think people are really focused on, you know, just doing the treatment and then I'm going to be better. Mm. I think if we don't also address lifestyle factors and other things, then it's very easy maybe just to kind of fall back into having anxiety again. Because if you're leading like not a particularly healthy lifestyle, you know, it can it can easily lead to, to anxiety. I mean, that exactly is the physical body part that I was describing for sure. I think helping people understand who, people who may already have black and white thinking mm. may think, oh, I have to become a triathlete in order to be, to exercise. And that is not the case. I mean, I think I, during COVID I have learned like, it's okay to take a half an hour walk a day. Yeah. Like it does not have to be like, let's ratchet the bar down on what that achievement is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So whatever, whatever is, you know, uh, something that you can do, whether that's a walk, whether that's a run, you know, for 10 minutes or just like literally go onto YouTube and do like a, a five minute workout or 10 minute workout, whatever you have time for, you'll find it yep. on YouTube. Uh, you know, but yeah, the benefits are, are huge, but yeah, don't, don't beat yourself up. If you, you know, if you say that you're going to do it three times a week, you just do it twice. Hey, that's a, that's a start, you know, and that's, that's great. 
So yeah, I, I think you're right. Just And sometimes, I mean, eventually you can listen to yourself and be like, oh, I actually want to do this. <laughs> That's the hard thing is like, instead of telling yourself you have to do it, like try to get to the point where you want to. I mean, it's not easy. I totally, yeah. <laughs> I will be the first to say like, it is not easy, but trying to like really hear yourself, how that helps. Yeah. What do you think is one of the most important or the most important thing you, you've learned from your experiences with, with uh, that? I mean, I, 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 have, I have talked about and written about the hormone wave. The hormone wave was the most important thing I learned about anxiety, which is the idea that um, whether it's immediate or it could be hours later, when something happens to you or you have certain thoughts, your body is flooded with hormones. Yeah. Cortisol, adrenaline, and those things can affect you um, in so many different ways. And they can even make you shaky, but the shakiness is often a side sign that the hormone wave is receding. So understanding how that is hitting you and like, how to celebrate after the hormone wave hits and the shakiness is a good thing. These are like really important elements um, for me to on getting, having a relationship with the mm. hormones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's great that you've come to that understanding of your body and how, you know, what the warning signs are and how it all works and what you can do to, to help yourself relax in those situations you know I think it's empowering actually uh you know so often with with these kind of problems I think one of the reasons why it feels so horrible is you you can feel like you've lost your personal power over your life and over your situation and over your ability to be able to you know to control things and obviously that's not a nice place to be you know but when you feel when you go somewhere and you're so, you know, like you're, I don't know, say you're just going to, I don't know, like the supermarket or something, and you're so afraid that you you might have a panic attack or that you might lose control, uh, or like you say, you had this experience on uh, the bus. Now you said at the start where you you, you fainted. I fainted, yeah, yeah. You know, like these kind of things, like the thoughts that we can have about these things then after something like that happens, it's very easy to get carried away with negative thinking about this kind of thing. And, you know, you can become obsessed about it and you can, it really does feel like you, you know, you've, you're losing control. And so I, I really think that what you, what you're talking about, what you've managed to achieve through getting more in touch with yourself and, in your body and, and understanding the hormones and uh, you know you are you've gained a lot more control over yourself a, a, gr a far greater and deeper understanding and that that builds this feeling of power that that you know sadly we lose i think when we when we really get stuck with anxiety yeah i mean i could i couldn't agree more now um if I do get lightheaded, I know what steps to take. I know what it means. I, it doesn't, it doesn't even scare me. I mean, I, I totally understand what's happening. Um, and I, I know how to communicate to the people around me, like, this is what's happening. This is, you know, I need to go lay down or whatever it might be. But what about you, Rob? What's, what's your thing that you learned? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good question. It's a really good question. Uh, I asked it myself, so now I have to answer it. Um, you yes. know, I think there's so many things that I've learned and, um, you know, that have been really important. So it's, it's really hard to, to say exactly, you know, what, what it is, but I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of say a couple of things. Number one is, is kind of acceptance of your situation. Now, for me, uh, the word acceptance is kind of like a pet hate of mine because, you know, it's, it's quite frustrating when you hear it. And for me, when I first heard about acceptance, I found it quite annoying because, you know, it's like, how do I accept these horrible sensations? Like, it's almost a bit, you know, like you can't say that to people like without explaining how to do it. And so I think uh, for me, it was learning about how can I actually accept, like, how do I do that? And, and the only way to learn about acceptance is by gently putting yourself into situations that give you anxiety on purpose, you know, to, to allow yourself to experience that anxiety, but in a controlled way and to, you know, to experience it and practice allowing it to be there. I think, you know, in a way that is, you know, one of the most important things because anxiety is a part of life. We can't live without it. You know, it's actually very important, of course, because, you know, just crossing the road, if you, <laughs> um, if you don't have any anxiety, you're gonna come to a sticky end. So of course we need to experience anxiety, but we need to experience it in a healthy way. You know, and so when when the uh, when we're getting that fear signal from the amygdala, you know that something is is wrong, and you know then a thought pops up into the head, you know, and and you're starting to to, to worry about something. When you're feeling that anxiety inside, you know you have you do have a choice, and that's that's the second thing that I think I wanted to mention that for me is really important is 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 choice because. I feel like for a long time, I didn't have a choice, you know, that the anxiety was in charge and I was being pushed around by it. Like it was a bully, you know, it was, it was beating me up and uh, I'd given it all of my lunch money <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't have any more to give, but it was still bullying me. And, uh, you know, and so, Actually, it's not true though. It's uh, it's the other way around. Like, well, you don't have to bully the anxiety. You know, in fact, you want to do the opposite. You want to you want to give it a hug. As cheesy as that sounds, um, you know, you actually want to try to welcome it in because when you do that, you're turning. You know, you're completely turning the situation on its head. Uh, and and so so yeah, we have a choice in these situations. We can, we can choose to, to fight with the anxiety, you know, and make it worse. Or we can choose to do our very best to allow it to be there whilst choosing then to refocus our attention onto what we value. Because in any given moment, we can find something that we value. Um, there's a, you know, I don't know if you've read um, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. I just wrote it. I just wrote it on my 18 top books to recommend for people yeah. who are struggling. Yeah. 
and so yeah and so it's, it's an amazing book and um in in that book he uh he says you know the last of the last of man's freedoms or something is is i know i'm not completely uh saying it wrong um <laughs> i'm gonna paraphrase he basically says you know the last the last of our our freedoms is to to choose how we respond to to our situation or to to our yeah in any given situation our thoughts and yeah that. he's there was a thing um, about you always have this moment and that moment is yeah the moment you decide how you're going to respond yeah exactly and uh so yeah it's uh it's an it's an amazing it's an amazing quote i uh if i had the book i'd look it up right now and uh tell you what it is because it's uh we can put it in the we can put it in the little paragraph description yeah because i've just completely destroyed it um but <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> I think you get my meaning. So yeah, we do have that choice. We really do have that choice. And it's it's so important to remember that. So yeah, acceptance and choice, I think, are the two, the two big things for me. I think those are great ones. I'm just realizing it's one o'clock. It's one o'clock here in Barcelona. It's nighttime. Yeah. But I think I I think I have to go. But I but I've loved this conversation. Yeah, it's been fantastic. It's been really nice to talk to you and, and hear your story. And uh, yeah, I, I could carry on for longer, but um, I too have to disappear because my girlfriend is uh, making my dinner, which is very nice of her. And uh, that's a very nice. Yeah, she said it'll be ready at ten o'clock, so I've got two minutes. <laughs> oh my, that's so Barcelona! It's such a late dinner. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And, uh, you know, it was also lovely to come on to your podcast too. I know. It's been great to have you. And um, I'm excited about our experiment of doing a double podcast together. <laughs> it was great. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.